And welcome to episode two of Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Going to be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in La Crosse. And we want to thank everybody for listening to our podcast, the first go-around. Hopefully this second time you'll enjoy it just as much as you did the first time. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about. The NFL draft was this past weekend. We now know the Packers' opponents and what order they're going to be in. And since this is a show where we like to tackle the history of the Packers, we're going to talk about some of the big-time draft stories in the history of the franchise, including our second What If segment, which will be about the most infamous draft in Packers history, that being 1989. And with that, we're going to send it out to lacrosse, and we'll join Matt. Matt, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. Uh, not a much more entertaining time of the, the off season than the, the NFL draft here, so uh have a lot of activity now with the Packers, some releasing, some big draft picks, so definitely stayed entertained with some Packer news. So on the radio coverage over there, I know we touched upon this last week, was it more uh, Vikings with a really high pick, or was it kind of balanced? Yeah, there, it actually seemed to lean towards kind of the Packers draft. I guess I didn't hear too much about what people thought of the Vikings picked. I know they addressed some needs, but yeah, in terms of coverage, I'd, it's, I'd say it's been kind of leaning towards the Packers here uh, lately, I suppose. They probably think it's hopeless out there that there's no point in even worrying about who the Vikings draft. Since yeah, the uh, the stadium deal has been the big issue right now. That's been kind of all over the news and all over the radio. I, I guess why worry about the draft if you're not sure you're going to have a team in the future? <laughs> that's true. Well, you, you never know. They might uh, go on vacation in L.A. and check out some of their old Viking players. Exactly. <laughs> but now getting on to this week, two big Packers left the team since we last spoke. Nick Collins, of course, because of the injury, not necessarily quite sure through what we heard in the media if he's retiring because of injury or the Packers released him because they weren't confident in him playing for the team anymore, not necessarily that they didn't think he could, but they weren't comfortable with it. And then, of course, Chad Clifton, I think some people saw the writing on the wall for Clifton, uh, so he was released actually the day before Nick Collins was, I believe, so... Both of these guys, uh, drafted by the Packers, had very productive careers, pro bowlers, both of them. And um, I think I'm going to miss both guys. So, Matt, uh, what are your uh, thoughts on losing both of those guys in this manner? Yeah, I mean, we grew attached to both of those guys over their tenure as Packers. I mean, Nick Collins making the huge plays in the Super Bowl you know, was great for us. It's it's hard to see somebody with that kind of potential just ended short because of an injury. And it kind of hurts a little bit knowing that he might not even be completely done and we might see him in another uniform. But, I mean, what can you do? you mm-hmm. you got to move on at some point here. We were hoping to hear by draft time whether he was going to be able to come back or not, and we still aren't sure if he's going to be healthy. So it's understandable, but it still hurts a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. as a Packer fan and as a big fan of Nick Collins to, to have to see him walk. You know, and, and personally I hope he ends up on another team and he can – continue playing after this it, it's just going to hurt a little bit to see him in another jersey yeah and in terms of Clifton I mean we've seen this coming for years now I mean, it seems like he's kind of been on and off retired for a couple of seasons now always been injured I mean he's been a great packer anchored down the left side of the line but I think this was pretty much expected a little less uh, of a shock obviously than the mm-hmm. Collins releasing but but still nonetheless you know he's definitely going to end up in the Packer Hall of Fame someday so it's sad to see him go yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, both of those guys are going to be missed in terms of what they meant for the team and, and what they meant to the community. One of those things where as the years go by, that second uh, Super Bowl that they've won since we've been fans, 
it's nice to see those kind of guys get to have that moment in the sun, especially with Nick Collins making the huge play and Chad Clifton, one of the only holdovers from that Mike Sherman era where they were always right at the doorstep, never were able to push down the door. So it's nice to see that uh, Chad on his way out was able to get a ring uh, as well as Nick Collins. Uh, if you ever want to comment on any of the stuff we're talking about, you can email the show at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, and now you can check out our show on a segment-by-segment basis on YouTube. Both of those accounts are green, gold, the number four, and the word ever. Green, gold, four, ever. That's Twitter and YouTube, and now we also have a Facebook page. Green and Gold Forever Podcast is the name of the page on Facebook, so search us there. And actually, Matt, who's been managing that page and been doing a fantastic job, he actually has some people that have commented on the Nick Collins situation. So, Matt, you want to share some of those with us? Yeah, absolutely. first comment that we had here on the Nick Collins was by Caleb. It says here, we didn't want to lose him, especially like this. Uh, he'll definitely be missed. The small silver lining is that we now know he's gone before the draft and will hopefully adjust our scope accordingly. So kind of what I said, you know, it's sad to see him go, but but we also, you know, had to kind of move on at some point here. So he's right. We're kind of able to adjust our needs by the draft, and we did end up taking a safety too, so he was right there. And also Bethany comments, I just hope we don't have to watch him play for somebody else. Although how it sounds, I don't think he's done with football yet. So, yeah, I, had, I haven't heard too many reports on like I said, the health for sure, if he's going to be back or not. But mm-hmm. but it looks it definitely sounds like he wants to be back. So so definitely agree with her there too. Yeah, well, it's early, so we'll have to see what happens. Obviously, uh, with the draft just ending, there's teams that probably still have some needs to fill. So Nick Collins will definitely be on the radar of a lot of those teams, I would imagine. Yeah, somebody's going to take a flyer on him, even if nobody's really sure if he's going to be healthy. If he comes back. You know, his potential is to be a Pro Bowl player every year, and if somebody wants to take a risk at it, it's probably a pretty low-risk idea at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, with that being said, let's get into the 2012 NFL Draft. And for the Green Bay Packers, that started on Thursday night with Roger Goodell. With the 28th pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Nick Perry, linebacker, USC. And with that, the Packers 2012 draft took off. And I'm just going to run down the picks real quick here, and then we can analyze these. Uh, Started with what Goodell just said, Nick Perry, USC, 28th pick in the draft. He's a linebacker. It listed him as a defensive end on ESPN. Packers.com lists him as a linebacker. Pretty clear that's where they want him to play, opposite Clay Matthews. With the second-round draft choice, 51st overall, the Packers got, which I think was a steal, Jarrell Worthy, defensive end from Michigan State. Not sure yet if he's going to play defensive end or defensive tackle. I know Mel Kuyper had him actually rated the 31st best player in the draft. Also in the second round, 62nd overall pick, Casey Hayward, cornerback from Vanderbilt. Now in the fourth round, 151st selection, Mike Daniels, defensive tackle from Iowa. Jerron McMillan, safety from Maine, was a fourth round pick. The Right after Daniels, 133rd. Terrell Manning, linebacker from NC State, fifth round, 163rd. We get back on offense here. Andrew Datko, tackle, Florida State, seventh round, 241. And then B.J. Coleman, quarterback from Tennessee, Chattanooga, uh, seventh round pick, 243rd overall. So what are your overall impressions after that list there, Matt? I really like the draft. Uh, Honestly, I really think we address a lot of positions of need. The Nick Perry pick was a little bit of a shocker at first. I had never heard of him going into the draft, but, you know, hearing more about him, I think the only negative is really that he can tend to take plays off, which 
scares me a little bit less when you're working with Charles Woodson and Clay Matthews on defense. That mm-hmm. that kind of a thing probably isn't going to happen because it's not going to be allowed. And Kevin Green's your coach. Exactly. You're not going to be taking plays off with those guys around you. And I, I think with his athleticism, that could be you know a real solid pick for the Packers there. Mm-hmm. As far as Jarrell Worthy, I think that was a steal at that pick. Mm-hmm. We had somebody coming in who can play instantly. He's going to be a force in the middle. I mean, I heard this guy going in mid-first rounds at a lot of mock drafts, and for us to be able to get him where we did, it seemed like a really good steal for us at that point. Casey Hayward, Vanderbilt cornerback. I know, uh, I believe it was either Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper thought this might be the steal of the entire draft. I I had a chance to look at his statistics. He had seven interceptions. Those only came in five games. They kind of piled up, so could be one of those spotty cornerbacks that we have seemingly an abundance of. Yeah. But I, I was kind of excited about him. He looked like a very versatile guy and a big, almost six feet tall as a cornerback. Yeah, I, I really liked the pick. I mean, if you're not a good corner, you're going to get exposed in the SEC. Mm-hmm. For him to be playing at such a small school uh, against a lot of other highly talented programs and receivers, it says a lot, and I'm not sure why he wasn't projected higher. Mm-hmm. I've heard only good things about him so far, so I guess I don't know why he was there at the end of the second round, but it seems like everything about him just seems great, and I, you know, I definitely hope he's the steal of the draft for our sake. Yeah, one of the things that, that had me wondering, especially having lost Nick Collins, if Casey Hayward can come in and be even as effective as Sam Shields was last year, would you consider Tremont Williams to the one spot at the corner, Sam Shields put him out on the other end where Tremont plays now, Casey Hayward's your nickelback, then you'll be able to send Charles Woodson to play the free safety position. Now not only do you have a veteran guy back there, a ball hawk playing safety, but all of a sudden it changes your blitz packages a little bit, which seemed to not fool anyone last year with Woodson blitzing out of his typical corner position. Yeah, and I think that's what the case is going to be here come season time. I think that it's it's got to be Woodson at safety. We can't go on expecting to get through with Pepper and Morgan Burnett Yeah, at safety this season. I, I think it's almost a guarantee that Woodson's going to be at safety this year. Yeah, it's certainly an intriguing idea. So they've kind of kicked it around for years, so let's see if this is the year maybe they finally pull the trigger on that. Next pick, fourth round, picked Mike Daniels out of Iowa. Nine sacks as a defensive tackle, which in a conference like the Big Ten, with the kind of offensive lineman they produce, is incredible. Of course, a defensive tackle brings up bad memories. He just had uh, shoulder surgery back in January, which he's recovering from. But apparently they were still very impressed with his strength, his quickness, and you can't argue with the production. 13 and a half uh, tackles for loss and nine sacks as a defensive tackle in the Big Ten is uh, nothing to look down upon. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, that production is, is crazy. Nine sacks from a defensive tackle in the Big Ten is, is great. But we've had a lot of these guys in the past. I mean, number one being Justin Harrell, where it's, it's great if we can build up this depth, but if these guys can't stay on the field, then it's pointless to have them around. So, I mean, this could have just been a fluke incident. We know we don't know too much about him and his injury history. Mm-hmm. I guess we can just hope that it's a, an isolated incident and that it's not going to be a constant thing every preseason where we hear that he's out and not going to be able to play till week six, and then he gets hurt again. Yeah, well, they had Justin Harrell for a while, and now they seem to have Mike Neal, who's another guy who can never stay healthy. So we'll see what happens here. Well, with the, the back end of the draft, of course, we had uh, Jerron McMillan for the fourth round as well, actually one pick after Mike Daniels. From the way they described him, obviously being from Maine, I can't honestly say I've ever seen him play other than the brief highlight package they showed uh, during the draft. He seemed to look, in a lot of the ways he was being described, to remind me quite a bit of Atari Bigby, which I think anybody who saw Atari Bigby, at times that's a really good thing, and at times it's a liability. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I haven't seen too much about him either. I know he's kind of a hitter. 
I guess it's just the small school in itself kind of reminds you of Nick Collins, and you're just hoping that we can mm-hmm. find another guy like that. But, I mean, what are the chances of finding another all-pro safety? Yeah. You know, it's it's a position of need, so if this guy can at least come in and provide some depth and some special teams help, then, you know, it, it's definitely going to be an addition for us. Sure. Tyrell Manning from NC State, linebacker, another guy. Uh, any quick impressions on him? Uh, I've heard some good things. Uh, I've heard he's very athletic. I think he he really came on at the second half of the season last year. I guess from what I've heard, all of his measurables are there. Fast, powerful guy. I think this could be our steal of the draft here. Mm. Um, I just I don't know. Just from what I see from him, I think I think a lot of people were high on him, and he just kind of fell because there wasn't a big enough sample size. So I mean, I think this could really be a guy who has a chance to flourish in our system. Well, let's hope so. I mean, especially with Winston Moss coaching the middle and being the assistant head coach, they certainly have quite the pedigree back there for uh, linebackers who've produced in the NFL. Seventh round pick, we got a couple of compensatory picks. I don't know if we're going to break these down too closely. These are kind of ones you just sort of take a chance on. They finally went offense after six defensive picks. Andrew Datko, tackle from Florida State. He's a tackle from Florida State. I can't say I could say a whole heck of a lot about him or try to begin to analyze him, but at least trying to add some depth there. And then the one people kind of were scratching their heads about, B.J. Coleman, quarterback from Tennessee, Chattanooga, another compensatory pick two picks later. I actually did look up this guy. I was hoping to find like some kind of production that mirrored Graham Harrell's career. Uh, very pedestrian, about 60% completion percentage, nine TDs, nine picks. That's at Tennessee, Chattanooga. So I, I guess don't get your hopes too up that this guy's going to become the next Tasselbeck or Flynn, but you never know. Have you heard who he's been training with the, the entire offseason? Uh, well, that part of the country, I think I'm going to guess number four, Brett Favre. But is that right? <laughs> Exactly. He, uh, <laughs> he has recently hired Buzz Cook as his agent, and he's been training with Brett Favre down in Hattiesburg. Oh, yeah? Hopefully that doesn't create any kind of friction with Rodgers. I'm sure he won't worry about it yeah. too much. But well, maybe at the end of the training camp he'll come in and say, I know I can play, <laughs> but I don't think I want to. So You never know. <laughs> Okay, so that's the Packers draft. Obviously, we're not experts. We're not Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay, where our job is to sit and analyze these guys. Honest to God, most of these guys we hadn't heard of until this past weekend or heard of a couple months ago and sort of forgotten about. So that's just our quick impressions. The main thing I will say is I'm happy to see how defense-heavy they went, especially losing a guy like Nick Collins. Uh, I think it's good that they're adding depth at all three levels of the defense. And so hopefully, if a couple of these guys pan out, you got to say it's a successful draft. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we can build around Rodgers on offense, and he can make players a lot better than what they actually are. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the defense, we just needed a ton of help. So even if a lot of these guys just provide depth, I, it, it was a must for the draft. Yeah, I know some people that I, were, I was watching the draft with were wondering when they were going to take a tackle. Uh, a lot of people wanted, when they picked Dr- Jarrell Worthy, take Peter Kahn's there, needing a center eventually to replace Jeff Saturday, you would think. But I think Jarrell Worthy has the potential to be a huge steal. Same with Casey Hayward, Mike Daniels. Uh, Nick Perry, I like what I saw from him. Like you, I hadn't heard of this guy before. I think any one of those top four have a chance to really be a home run, so we'll have to see. All right, let's move on and talk briefly about the rest of the draft. Matt, what are some of your quick impressions of the rest of the draft in the NFL? I guess to me it really seemed like a deep year. Maybe it had something to do with the uncertainty from last season with the, the lockout pending. It just seemed like we had a lot more than usual, and um, kind of going through the NFC North, one pick that I think was a great pick, I don't like it because we went, but the uh, Alshon Jeffrey to the mm-hmm. Bears pick, definitely. that kind of scares me a little bit. I mean, this guy, 
I know he has kind of some attitude issues, but if you look at him, he kind of reminds me a lot of Gronkowski. He's, he's got the size, similar speed, great at going up and catching the ball. I don't know if they have intentions of using him to that extent or if they're just going to be spreading him out wide a lot, but that mm-hmm. big body is going to be hard to cover. And that it's kind of one of those picks like in the past, like maybe a Percy Harvin or, mm-hmm. or somebody like that, like Devin Hester, where you're just kind of hoping he doesn't go to somebody in the division. Yeah. And he ends up going there in the second round. So I thought that was a great pick. Other than that, um, they take Shea McClellan, which just seems like a textbook Bears guy. Uh, <laughs> Vikings take Harrison Smith in the first round. I think he's going to be a great NFL player. Uh, Sounds like a guy from Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. One of the highest rated uh, safeties in the draft out of Notre Dame. Um, And the Lions take Riley Reef and Ryan Broyles, which I thought was kind of an interesting pick. Mm -hmm. More receiving depth when they need, you know, help at pretty much every other position. Yeah. Um, As far as the NFC North, uh, I thought the rest of the teams had fairly strong drafts. It's so hard to tell, though, ahead of time like this until we actually see these guys on the field. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like it seemed like more than usual teams were going towards need rather than best player available, which we hear every GM saying is essential now. Yeah. And even the Packers, which we dr- we've driven that home, you know, since McCarthy and Thompson have been here, it seemed that we'd go more towards need this year rather than best player available. I don't know. Maybe they had Nick, Nick Perry uh, that high on their board, but it just kind of seemed like some of these guys maybe were – you know, a little out of place otherwise. Well, it seems like the defensive players have more value to the teams in the last, like especially this year. And I don't, I, I didn't get a chance to check the stats from earlier years, but I saw that eight of the 32 first round draft choices were defensive linemen. Uh, I think the whole league kind of opened their eyes a little bit to we got to do something here because you know they had two of the best offenses in the history of the league last year. The Packers were a few points away from being the most prolific scoring team in the history of the NFL. Uh, right. and, the, and, the and, the, and the way that the Packers played was extraordinary, but compared to the Saints and the Patriots and some other teams, it didn't even look that impressive. So I think a lot of teams are trying to put the reins on that and saying, hey, listen, we got to get some athletes and we got to get them on the other side of the ball. We all can score, but none of us can stop each other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously the team who wins the Super Bowl is the blueprint, and that's you know, what the New York Giants do best. They take defensive linemen every year in the draft, and it's the reason why they won the Super Bowl last year and why they won it a few years ago is because they were just absolutely dominant at rushing the passer. Rushing the passer. <laughs> yeah. um, because really that's the only way you can stop it. You can try to cover all day, but if you don't get any pressure on these guys, there's, there's no way you're going to stop the passing game. Well, yeah, the Giants proved it. I mean, you got to mix uh, rushing the passer with uh, loafing for about three months and then you know, hoping you can sneak up on people uh, two times in five years. Exactly. Well, let's. Uh, I guess some of the quick things I had here, uh, some of my observations. I really liked the Michael Floyd to the Cardinals pick. I, okay. I, I really like him teaming up with Larry Fitzgerald. I, I'm kind of surprised because I thought Ken, Ken Wisenhunt would be a really big-time flash in the pan there. I thought it was a lot of Kurt Warner, but they really impressed me in the second half of the season last year, especially with that division. You really never know what to expect. I think Arizona pieces might fall in place. They were very healthy last year, and they still made a, a late playoff push, albeit not a very serious one, but they were there. So I think that could definitely help maybe diversify their offense a little bit, especially if they can have some sort of consistency at the quarterback position. Also, I just got to point out, uh, poor Cleveland, they drafted a running back and a quarterback in the first round. It seems like ever since Cleveland's come back, every two years they got to try to have these new offensive playmakers. I mean, they had Brandon Whedon and Trent Richardson this year. I mean, it just seemed like yesterday it was Colt McCoy and Peyton Hillis, and before that it was 
Derek Anderson and Brady Quinn with Jamal Lewis, and it was Tim Couch and William Green, and it seems like if you've got to replace those Borton offensive pieces every couple of years, uh, I don't know, maybe Mike Holmgren got lucky this time, but. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I thought Trent Richardson, I think he's going to be a good pro. I don't think he's going to be elite, but I think he'll at least be a good starting running back. And as far as the Whedon pick, I was kind of shocked by that. I, I really didn't think that was a good pick. No? Uh, I, I guess maybe I'm in the minority here, but I guess I just don't see how much upside you can really get from a guy who's already, what, 28, turning 29, I believe. Yeah. And and his talent level is, is similar to another late first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like he's way better than Luck and Griffin and and some of these other guys. He's at their level, but he's already 29. What are you going to get maybe like five years out of him? And he still has to develop. I just mm-hmm. I just don't see how this helps the Browns now any more than, you know, keeping Colt McCoy around. Yeah, that's a fair point. A lot of people have brought up that criticism, but actually I was hoping that you would bring up that criticism because I, I disagree a little bit, but more importantly, so does John Gruden. You're talking about this guy's age like he's 50 years old. I know. I Roger Stahlbeck was 27. I know. A lot of, I didn't get Rich Gannon until he was 34. Whedon can throw the football and win you games. That's the bottom line. There you go. <laughs> well, you were right on cue with that there. Well, I, it's like classic Gruden. It's better than any impression anybody can do of him. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I don't see it. I don't think he's good enough to, to warrant the pick at, you know, at that age, I, he's got a lot of developing to do still, from what I understand, and I, I guess I just personally don't see it. But I'm, I'm, maybe I'll be proven wrong, and I wouldn't mind it. It wouldn't be too bad to see the Browns have a little success here once in a while. I agree. All right, so that's the 2012 NFL Draft. Uh, I think, obviously, a day ago it, or two days ago it ended, so nobody's really quite sure what to expect from it, but certainly some interesting things to look forward to in the 2012 season. So with that, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. When we come back, we're going to review the 2012 schedule. We're going to get to the what-if segment, which is always my favorite segment of the week, where we're going to talk about the 1989 draft. We'll be right back. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, 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 tennis, hockey. The game is starting. Everyone is here. Welcome back to Green and Gold Forever. Thanks for joining us today. This is episode two. We've been talking about the 2012 draft and particularly the Packers picks in the 2012 draft. Now we're going to talk about the 2012 Packers schedule. That came out just prior to the draft. And before we get on to that, of course, if there's anything you want to talk to us about pertaining to the show or just Packers in general, you can email us at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page, which is Green and Gold Forever Podcast. Search that on Facebook. Or you can go to Twitter or YouTube, where on YouTube we have segment clips of the show at Green Gold the number four ever. That's green, gold, the number four, the word ever. That's both Twitter and YouTube. There will be a quiz later to keep all that straight. Now let's get on to the 2012 Packers schedule. Actually looking pretty favorable for the Packers. Of course, the years you say that is the years it's tougher, and then the years you think it's the most difficult, such as 2010, uh, it ends up working out real well for them. But let's just run it down real quick. We'll go month by month here. Uh, We have the San Francisco 49ers starting on Sunday, September 9th. Of course, the 315 National Fox game. I don't remember the last time the Packers started the season at noon, but they're playing the San Francisco 49ers. Actually, the Packers, if they win that game, here's a green and gold fun fact, if they're able to beat the San Francisco 49ers, they will set the franchise record for most consecutive opening day wins. And believe it or not, which this shocked me, the consecutive 
opening day wins is actually set in the 80s is the one who had it. It's not the Holmgren era. It's not the Lombardi era. It's the combined Bart Starr, Forrest Gregg era that has the record right now tied with the current team that's 1980 through 84, which, you know, only a bunch of eight and eight seasons and one strike shortened playoff berth. Of course, the start of that streak being the infamous Chester Markle block field goal touchdown run game. So just a little fun anecdote from Packers history about that. Four days later, they're taking on the Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football, which wall-to-wall this year for the NFL is Thursday Night Football. That's also at Lambeau Field. Then on Monday, September 24th, they head out to Seattle to take on Matt Flynn and the Seattle Seahawks in their only appearance on Monday Night Football. And then they host the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Short a few men compared to the last time they're at Lambeau Field. That will also be a 315 Fox game. So three of the first four against very good teams. And Seattle, obviously, one year removed from a division title. So a tough slate in September. Thankfully, three of the four games are at home, Matt. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal start in the first four weeks. Uh, if there's some way we can come out of this 3-1, and one, I think I'm going to be very happy with that. The start against the 49ers, we'll see what we get from them this year. But either way, it's a tough defense no matter what we get from the offense. Um, Bears four days later, that's brutal. <laughs> yeah, no um, We're expecting them to be one of the best teams in the NFC and off only four days rest. It's not like they're getting more rest, but, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that we have superior coaching staff and uh, maybe a little better strategists, so maybe that shortened time frame is going to be a little benefit to them. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of look at the down week against the Seahawks, but this is still a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. We'll see how Matt Flynn starts here, but I think they're going to be a pretty solid squad this year, and then... Then the New Orleans Saints, which last year everybody thought was going to be the best team in the NFC. Might and I have just been. Think, yeah, probably still were after what we saw from us in the postseason. But I don't think losing their head coach is going to be as much of a detriment as people think. I think they're still going to come out and be a good squad. I don't, I don't think there's any way they lose more than six games this year. They're still going to be a playoff team regardless. They still have Drew Brees. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we'll see what kind of suspensions are handed out to the defense, which we're still waiting on. Well, it's Either not like way. they had much of a defense last year either, but it was exactly. better than the Packers. But Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see San Francisco to see if they're a flash in the pan or not, or if they're actually a legit contender that's going to be around for years to come. I'd like to think that they can be at home and win those games, but yeah, even if they go 2-2, two and two, I wouldn't be all that surprised. I don't know if they win all three of those home games, and going up to Quest Field is never an easy task. Let's move on to October, which starts off with three road games, which I remember the Packers having those all the time in the 90s in the Holmgren era. It seems like every November or October they had three straight road games. Haven't seen that on the schedule for a number of years, if I recall correctly. At the Indianapolis Colts and the number one pick, Andrew Luck, then at the Houston Texans, who of course were very close to being in the AFC Championship game last year, and at the St. Louis Rams, who won 15 games in the last five years, which is the worst stretch of any five-year team in NFL history, and then they bring it home against the always tough Jacksonville Jaguars. So yeah, I, what do you think of that month? I think this is you know, our easiest month of the season here. The, I mean, the Colts, Rams, Jags, these are three games that not only should we win, but I don't really see any way that we don't win. These teams are all so bad. I guess we'll have to wait and see what Andrew Luck can do, but... With what's around him, I think it's going to be pretty tough for him to carry the entire team. And it'll be his fifth career start. Exactly. (laughs) Um, In terms of the Texans game, this is just kind of one of those games that, 
I look at, at the schedule going into the season and say, well, that's probably going to be a loss. Going into Houston to play one of the best teams in the AFC, I don't know. I guess you chalk up your losses at some point during the season. I guess this is just a game I don't really see them winning. Not necessarily that they're better than the Packers, but, you know, home field advantage. And, and like I said, you're going to lose some games, and this is going to be an extremely tough game with how good that running game is. Well, it'll be on Sunday Night Football as well, so, you know, they're going to be jacked. Uh, one thing, though, if they shut that roof, it's over for the Texans. If you look at Aaron Rodgers' career performance indoors, Packers indoors are always a scary team, home or away. Well, obviously not home, but I wish they would build a roof over Lambeau for... We'd have beat the Giants probably then, but... <laughs> you better be careful. That's kind of sacrilege. <laughs> well, I would... wouldn't you rather win Super Bowls than be cold and feel prideful about sitting out in the cold? Yeah, I definitely would, but I think <laughs> there's a handful of fans that probably be, you know, have burning pitchforks coming at us if we talk about putting... A, yeah, they also don't have any toes because they sit out there in the <laughs> cold and watch them get blown out by teams in the playoffs the last 10 years or so. But yeah, I, I'm with you that if, if they don't beat the Colts, the Rams, and the Jaguars by two touchdowns. I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Let's go on to November here. Home to the Arizona Cardinals. Then the bye week, a very late bye week for them. Then at Detroit, at the New York Giants. That's your month of November. Obviously two very tough games in there, back-to-back. But they are the exact same spot on the schedule they were last year with those two teams in those two buildings. So interesting that that happens again. Um, yeah, I, I, a little tougher stretch here. Um, Cardinals aren't going to be easy, as we talked about earlier. Um, we'll see what they get out of the quarterback position. But either way, trying to cover Fitzgerald and some of those other offensive weapons is going to be tough. Um, Lions-Giants, obviously very difficult games. We seem to have the Giants number during the regular season, <laughs> yeah. at least as far as I can recall. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully these are two easier wins for us even against tough tough teams at least um I, i'm still not completely sold on the lions we'll see how they start again this season but um you know hopefully two more victories i i think this is definitely a stretch where we can win win all these games the giants just this is about the point of the season where the giants start to kind of turn it around maybe with the momentum against a good team like us yeah i'm not really sold I'm, you can obviously tell through my reactions to the first two podcasts that i'm not very impressed with the giants but you never know in their building it's always a tough game I think they could win all three of these. They also could lose two of the three. I think they probably will beat Detroit. I think they have a, a, a real good chance to beat the New York Giants, but uh, I guess we'll see. And then moving on to December, five games in December this year, and a lot of NFC North teams on that schedule. Uh, home to the Vikings on December 2nd. Home to the Lions on December 9th, where they haven't won in 21 tries here in the state of Wisconsin since 1991. The Bears at Soldier Field on uh, December 16th, home to the Tennessee Titans, and then finishing up the season on December 30th at the Metrodome. Yeah, um, looks like a pretty solid schedule to finish up with here. Um, getting the Vikings twice at the end of the season should be good. Uh, I don't expect a lot out of them this season. Adrian Peterson is going to be hurt by that point of the season. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, we'll see what Christian Ponder does this year. Doesn't have a ton of weapons around him other than Peterson and, and Percy Harvin if he can stay healthy. So you would hope that those are two wins. The Titans, I, I'm not really sold on here. We'll, we'll see if Jake Locker is possibly starting by that point of the year. But the Bears game is the one I look towards a lot here. This yeah, could that's going to be tough. At Chicago, we could have the division on the line here, which I think it, it probably will have some in, implications at that point in the season. So uh, I think that will be a huge one for us. 
Yeah, without a doubt, that one, to me, out of all the games on the schedule, looks just like an automatic loss. Uh, they have a hard enough time winning there as it is. Uh, oh, you never know what's going to happen, obviously, by that late in the season. But one thing that I did think just now as as you were talking about the Vikings is that if things don't go well in the Congress for Minnesota getting a new stadium for the Vikings and in the city, that could be the last game of the Metrodome, and it could be the last game of the Minnesota Vikings with the Green Bay Packers there. I, I kind of hope that doesn't happen. I would say <laughs> maybe the most sinister Packer fan in me kind of does hope the Vikings move. <laughs> but most of me, the friendly uh, person that doesn't want anybody in Minnesota to lose their team, uh, certainly would like to see the Vikings find a way to stay in Minnesota. But that's the 2012 schedule. I penciled it in. I can't tell you exactly which games I thought. I, I kind of chalked up a loss between one of two games. I had them going 12-4 and four with this schedule. What about you? Um, I I think about thirteen and three probably. I wouldn't be shocked. You know, anywhere between two and five losses, I I wouldn't be surprised with at all. I'll say thirteen and three though, because it, it seems like we're at least a good enough team that will win the games we're supposed to win. I know we occasionally have a letdown like Kansas City last year or Tampa Bay a couple of years ago, but I think that we'll beat a lot of these good teams just because simply we're better than they are. And I'll I'll go with thirteen and three. Okay. We also had a, a prediction on Facebook as well from one of our listeners. Uh, Caleb, who predicted us to go 12-4 and four and get the one seed as well. So it looks like we're kind of all in the same boat here with that. Yeah, if they can stay healthy, I don't see any reason why they should lose more than, you know, you know things can happen, but shouldn't lose necessarily more than five games. So we'll see if they can stick to that. Obviously, things can change, but certainly the stars look aligned for another uh, Packers run at a Super Bowl title. So with that, let's move on to my favorite segment which is Packers What If, and since this is somewhat of a draft special, we're going to talk about the most infamous draft in Packers history. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. I do not assume to be Ron's equal in regard to personnel matters. He's the best. I am, however, Ron's equal in regard to my passion for the Packers. And Mikowski appears hurt. Oh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Several months ago when I accepted this responsibility, I mentioned that I was humbled by it, but not awed. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? So that's the official start of Packers What If, where we take a Packers moment or game or issue from the past, we tweak it a little bit, and then we discuss the ramifications of those changes. So this week we're talking about the most infamous draft in Packers history, that being 1989. And here's the backstory as to why that event was so important. With one game to play in the 1988 NFL season, the Green Bay Packers found themselves in a position to clinch something they hadn't had in 30 years, the first pick in the NFL draft. The Packers had struggled to a 3-12 record under first-year head coach Lindy Infante and second-year quarterback Don Makowski. When they took the field in Phoenix on Sunday, December 18, 1988, to take on the 7-8 Cardinals, the Packers controlled their own destiny for the first pick in the draft until the unthinkable happened. They won. 
Green Bay's win, combined with Dallas's earlier loss, gave the Cowboys the rights to the first pick in the 1989 draft. The Packers would pick second after winning a strength of schedule tiebreaker with the 4-12 Lions. Detroit would pick third. Although Packer Nation was disappointed to no longer be able to select the consensus top prospect in the draft, UCLA quarterback Troy Aikman, they would still get a high pick in one of the most talented draft classes in years. In fact, of the five players selected at the top of the 1989 draft, four would go on to be Pro Football Hall of Famers. The other would be the Packers' selection, Michigan State offensive tackle Tony Mandridge. Mandridge was labeled as a sure thing by nearly all scouts and media. Sports Illustrated went as far as to call him the greatest offensive line prospect in NFL history, but it was not to be. Holdouts, attitude problems, substance abuse, injuries, and illness destroyed his career. Mandridge only started 31 games and appeared in few others during his five years with the organization. To make matters worse, Troy Aikman would win three Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s. Barry Sanders would rush for over 15,000 yards and would have become the NFL's all-time leading rusher had he not retired on his own terms at age 30. Linebacker Derek Thomas would go to nine Pro Bowls in 11 years for the Kansas City Chiefs. And cornerback Deion Sanders would electrify for over a decade and score more non-offensive touchdowns than any player in league history. But what if Week 16 of the 1988 season had played out differently? What if the Packers hadn't won? What if the Cowboys had? What if the results around the league had given Detroit the strength of schedule tiebreaker and the Packers picked third? What if the 1989 NFL Draft had gone down differently? All right, so there you go. There's the backstory of the 1989 draft. Certainly a lot to talk about here. I guess, Matt, would you like me to begin and give you some of my ideas here? Yeah, go for it if you want to. Okay. I guess I'll begin with the obvious here. Uh, kind of something that, as a Packer fan, I'm a big fan of Packers history. I like to study it, especially I like to study the actual history of the team as it happened, such as newspaper clippings, things like that. Uh, the big argument that Packers fans have had over the years was the Barry Sanders one. Nobody ever really talked about Troy Aikman because that's not how it went down. But the one, obviously, that if everything else had been the same, could have been different, was the Packers drafting Barry Sanders. Well, I'm here to tell you now, Packer fans that are listening, don't lose any more sleep over the Packers not getting Barry Sanders because I went through and read about eight or nine articles from 1988 and 1989 from Packers general manager and vice president of football operations at the time, Tom Bratz. And nowhere is there any indication that the Packers even considered drafting Barry Sanders other than they went and watched him work out. And this is because they had just drafted Brent Fullwood with the fourth pick in the draft in 1987. He was from Auburn. He became a bust, of course. But he finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 1986. In his two years in the NFL, he'd been under two different offensive systems. They expected him to pick it up and be great. In fact, in 1989, he was a pro bowler, but he was kind of a head case. He asked out of a game because he was sick, and then later that night they found him dancing in a dance club, so they cut him, and then he never played the NFL again. So a really interesting career for Brett Fullwood actually was, from the limited uh, games that I have that feature Brent Fullwood, actually looked like a pretty good player, and it's kind of sad that uh, his career flamed out that way. But So I don't think the Packers would have drafted Barry Sanders. I think the main thing that I've been looking around was that they were 
set on drafting Troy Aikman to the point where they were already talking about how Troy Aikman would work within the system the week before they won that game against the Cardinals. So I think that my first scenario will be, let's say the Packers lose and they get Troy Aikman. Looking back on it, I think that does nothing to change the history of the Packers and actually just destroys uh, Troy Aikman's career. Troy Aikman is a smart quarterback, he's a tough quarterback, but he's not the kind of quarterback that could have run the Lindy Infante offense. I went back and looked at Aikman's stats. He only threw over 500 passes once in his entire career. That was in 1997, and it was the lowest rated year of his career other than the last one and the first one. So of Aikman's prime, that was his worst year. It was the only time he ever threw over 500 passes. Infante's Packers averaged 559 pass attempts a year, which is almost 150 more than Troy Aikman's average per season. So I think Troy Aikman, with a bad offensive line, with a bad team, he would have been, not only would he have had the kind of success he had in the first year in Dallas, but that would have never gotten better. Uh, and, And just addressing the Barry Sanders issue real quick here, Let's say the Packers do, for whatever reason, decide Brent Fullwood's a bum. Let's pick up Barry Sanders. Lindy Infante's Packers had the fewest rushing attempts of any team in football while they were in Green Bay by a pretty comfortable margin. This was with Brent Fullwood, who they had just invested a fourth pick in the draft with, and they had drafted Daryl Thompson with the 19th pick in the 1990 draft, who had 3,700 rushing yards in college, which might not seem like a lot now, but that's in the 80s, so that's quite a lot of production. And he didn't use either of these guys. So Barry Sanders would have either not been Barry Sanders or he would have been flashes of brilliance and we would have got rid of him because we wouldn't think he was a necessity to our offense. I honestly think the best case scenario for the Packers' future is take Tony Mandrich, hit rock bottom, don't get one of these slightly better players with more impact on the offense to buoy your team enough that they make the playoffs in 89 or that they're slightly better in 1991 to the point where they decide to keep Lindy Infante for one more year. Let's say they give Lindy Infante one more year. Well, that means that Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre are all for other teams. And then who knows what happens after that. So I would say that's why for me, I would say what if the Packers didn't draft Tony Mandrich? Of all of these we're going to go through, this is the one that has the ultimate butterfly effect potential. Leave Mandrich alone. All right, yeah, I, I, I agree with most of what you said. It, it's one of my favorite parts about this segment is it's, it's insane how one such small thing, like a feudal team winning a game and getting bumped back to the number two pick can have mm-hmm. such an effect on NFL history. Mm-hmm. I mean, if these two teams swap, you might not see, not only would this affect the Packers, but... Dallas doesn't get Troy Aikman. We might not see them win a Super Bowl in the 90s. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Wouldn't it be nice to think of them trying to play those Brett Favre, Reggie White teams with Steve Berline at quarterback? <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree with what you said. I I think that even had we got if had we gotten the first overall pick, we would have taken Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't as much as I thought Troy Aikman was a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player. You're right. I he's more of the game-managing type. He's not the sling-it-around type. He had a huge offensive line in Dallas, uh, had you know, statistically the best running back of all time. Mm-hmm. He's not that I'm trying to take anything away from Troy Aikman, but he's just not the kind of quarterback that would have really, I think, fit into this system. I mean, maybe we would have seen different had he been in it, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't seem like a fit. And in terms of taking the number two pick, uh, taking somebody different at the number two pick, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. It wouldn't have happened. We just took Brent Fullwood. Tony Mandrich was, you know, 
the lock up there. He was the sure thing other than any any of these other guys. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who was going to anchor the whole left side of the line for your team for years to come. I mean, maybe we could have seen, you know, looked into some of these issues a little more with him, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. And, and it's kind of funny how, you know, taking such a bad player one year can kind of end up working out so well for you in the long run. <laughs> yeah. We had the same issue last week where, you know, you might have been able to put yourself in a better situation at that time. Mm-hmm. But we're happy with how things turned out in the long run with how they, you know, worked out with these uh, bad things happening at that specific time instead. So last episode, we're, you know, cursing out the TV when we don't make the playoffs that year. But (laughs) now when we look back on it, we wouldn't trade it for anything. We wouldn't trade this Tony Mandridge pick, even though it was considered one of the biggest busts in NFL history, Mm -hmm. to have Troy Aikman or Barry Sanders. And we wouldn't trade it just because you might not win the Super Bowl title that you won and things we probably wouldn't have gotten Brett Favre or Mike Holmgren or Reggie White or Ron Wolf and and who knows you know, what happens to the franchise if you take out that 90s run I mean they could be I don't even want to fathom what they are because there's really nothing to compare it to if they never would have come out of those post Lombardi doldrums I mean they would be going on 50 years of futility like worse than the Lions I mean the Lions at least I kind of was thinking about this last week. The Lions, if you weren't a fan of football in the 90s, they were kind of like the 90s versions of the Falcons, where every year they're in the playoffs, like with two weeks left, you're like, oh, looks like the Lions are going to make it again. Well, that's an automatic win for whoever plays them. But they're at least there, you know, that you don't make that overhaul change to get the new quarterback, to get the new coach, to get the new general manager. And that's one of the things that was interesting about researching this is the only other guys that I saw them legitimately talk about taking with that second pick was uh, Derek Thomas. And they, they mentioned Dion, but mainly the other one was going to be Derek Thomas was the one they were considering taking, which the thought of him and Tim Harris on the same team, which Tim Harris, I believe, in 1988 had like 18 sacks. The idea of him and Derek Thomas on opposite sides, or maybe on the same side, one playing down, one playing the Clay Matthews position, is interesting. But then again, their offense was so bad, it pretty much wouldn't have done anything, and they both would have left town disgruntled instead of just Tim Harris. Yeah, I mean, if everything would have worked out the same, plus Derek Thomas on the Packers team, you know, with Reggie White, with, you know, George Coons, Wayne Simmons, the guys that we had, Leroy Butler on the Super Bowl team. Mm Mm-hmm. That have been great, but you just you don't know, and we can't really you know can start to guess at what would have happened differently with him. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they would have felt comfortable enough to not go after Reggie White and give him that money because we probably would have already been paying Derek Thomas. And that's true. Um, that's a really good point. It, so I mean, it's impossible to to kind of guess what would have happened had we had a guy like that. But mm-hmm. being able to add him onto that Super Bowl team's defense, we probably would have been one of the best defenses of all time. You know, maybe which they were anyways. Yeah, absolutely. But be able to substitute him out for Brian Williams or something like that on the outside, mm-hmm. or you know, Ron Ron Cox is that? The, yeah, he was yeah, middle, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely interesting. I don't think it dramatically changes anything. I honestly think throw Derek Thomas in there, Denver still probably wins that second Super Bowl. So I, I don't think there's a whole lot different. The one thing I will say that's incredibly interesting that I found while researching this is that Steve Walsh. They didn't let juniors in to the draft back then, so Steve Walsh was graduating in the summer, but there was some kind of discrepancy to where he couldn't be eligible for the the regular draft in April. Of course, Steve Walsh being the quarterback of the Miami Hurricanes after Bernie Kosar and after Vinny Testaverde, 
Steve Walsh actually came in the year after Vinny Testaverde. He won the Heisman, and they lost to Penn State in the national championship game. Steve Walsh actually won him the national title the next year. So he was a highly touted guy. And the Packers were fully intent on getting Mandrich, and then they were going to waste their first-round pick in 1990, which um, produced Tony Bennett. Or, I'm sorry, which produced Daryl Thompson. They, they had two that pick. I don't, I don't remember which one was first, either Daryl Thompson or, or uh, Tony Bennett. They were going to draft Steve Walsh in the supplemental draft, but it's kind of a random order in the top, and the Falcons got the first pick, then Dallas got the first pick, of course. Dallas' first-year head coach was Jimmy Johnson, who had just won a national championship with Steve Walsh, so he picked him, too. <laughs> There's an article in basically just lamenting the Cowboys for ruining the future of the Packers by taking the two locks for great quarterbacks in the NFL, obviously half right with that equation. So I guess that wraps it up for another edition of Packers What If. I really like these segments, and I really want more ideas. I have a ton of them in my own head and on my computer of different What If ideas, but I'd love to hear yours. So go to any of those channels, uh, greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us, green, gold, the number forever. Write it on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. I want some more ideas from you for Packers What If, because I really enjoy this segment. Or, if you have an idea as to what might have happened in either one of the Packers What If segments we've discussed, please let us know that as well, and we'll read it on a future show. And that wraps it up for the second episode of Green and Gold Forever. I want to thank everybody today for joining us and listening to us. And if you got any feedback, we'd love to hear it. I want to thank Matt for joining me out there in lacrosse. And we'll hope to connect with you soon on another Green and Gold Forever full podcast. But in the meantime, we're going to have a YouTube exclusive that's going to be just on our YouTube page, Green Gold Forever. That's Green Gold number four, word ever, on YouTube. And we're going to have a brief segment about our top and bottom five Packers draft picks of all time, which should be really interesting. So that's going to be a YouTube exclusive. Look for that coming in the next week or so. So everybody have a nice rest of the week, and we'll hope to join you soon with another episode of Green and Gold Forever. Take care, everyone.